Hi everybody, today's guest is Kevin Bavona, guitarist for the Los Angeles, California ska punk band, The Interrupters. It was great to catch up with my old friend and talk about their hit single, She's Kerosene, taken from their 2018 album, Fight the Good Fight. The idea for She's Kerosene started out as a voice memo between Kevin and lead singer Amy Interrupter. In that initial voice memo, you can hear the chorus pretty much as it ended up being on the record. The song wasn't inspired by one direct instance or situation, but by many different experiences and hardships throughout Amy's life. I love the imagery of the verses, and I feel like it's the perfect blend of angst mixed with killer hooks and pop sensibilities. Kevin tells a really cool story about how producer Tim Armstrong provided the bridge part for the song. He also mentioned that Brett Gurowitz from Bad Religion and Epitaph Records was the first person ever to tell him that this song is a hit, in reference to the initial time he heard She's Kerosene. And Kevin credits mixer Tom Lord Algie with making an executive decision in the 11th hour behind the mixing desk that truly made the song stronger. For all this and much more, stick around. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Podcast. Well, I'm a big fan of your show as a songwriter and a studio nerd. And like, it's the only show I could think of where you talk about like who mixed the track and like what, how Mike set up and all that kind of stuff. I love that kind of stuff. So thank you for doing what you do. Well, I, I, I appreciate this. And uh, for the listeners, I want to set this up a little bit. I absolutely, it's no secret. Uh, I, I probably wear it in uh, most of my uh, videos I put online. I'm always wearing an interrupter's hoodie or, or a, a shirt. <laughs> One of my uh, favorite bands, and I mean that you guys are just, uh, you're, and gal, <clears throat> are great. Uh, not just uh, as a band, but as people. Uh, I've known you for probably six or seven years, right around the time uh, I think your first record came out. Yep, and yep. Uh, we've done a bunch of touring together and can't say enough uh, enough good things about you. And I'm really stoked that not only are you on today, but we're going to talk about uh, arguably at this point, uh, uh, your biggest track, She's Kerosene. Definitely. And yeah, you know, I was thinking about it. Thank you guys for taking a chance on a new band like us. You know, our new record had been out maybe two months when you took us on that tour. We went all the way across Canada, which is not an easy tour, but thank you for taking us on that tour because it literally like made us so much stronger as a band and almost killed us probably, but like we came out we came out the other end. So didn't we, we drag your that. ass up there in the middle of the winter? Yeah. And you know it's so funny. From Southern California, none of us had ever driven in snow. And I remember we were driving through the Canadian Rockies and one of the twins was driving and he goes, Oh my God, snow. I've never seen snow. And Amy's like why are you driving then? <laughs> but we had so much fun. I mean, like there was a lot of like physical injuries on that tour and, and just gnarly gnarliness, but like it was a good time. It was definitely, we learned a lot. 
Yeah, well, you know, I don't know if, and I imagine if you guys are a band long enough, which which you will be, you'll get questions like this. But it, it's so weird being in a band as long as as, as I have. Uh, journalists sometimes they want to get dirt or they want to just dig up stuff, you know. And you guys have just blown up over the course of the last year, year and a half. Of course, you had landed the Green Day tour last summer that uh, unfortunately hasn't happened yet. But uh, I'll get these questions from journalists, you know. So about some of the new bands out there, like the Interrupters, like you know to. to does it bother you their their exposure and 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 what they're getting and you know you guys have been doing this for so long and and I I, I tell them all the same thing I'm like well first of all if if I didn't like them and they were jerks maybe a little bit it would bother me but you know how <laughs> nice they are and how oh. good and deserving of people there and I mean that you guys if anybody uh, deserves a success it, it, it is you so I want to jump into this track uh, well thank you this, for saying that no I, I I I mean it this song for me it was immediate. I remember when I first heard it, I was like, okay, it's one of those songs where you only have to hear it once to, to, to like it. You don't, it doesn't have oh, to, gr- it doesn't have to grow on you. Oh yeah. We really beat that course to death for sure. So four times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. So, um, I mean, it, it, for us too, it's a special song, even from the, from the very inception of it, it was one of those songs that, you know. We kind of had a special place in our heart, and you know, we would have never expected it to do what it did. I mean, we knew, we knew that in some way it would change our lives, just because Amy had that feeling about like, if I write about this particular thing, it's gonna change our lives, and I don't know what's gonna happen, but but it was really important to her to get this kind of a a message out, and um, yeah, and then the rest is kind of like history in the making, still, I guess. Well, you know, your band has a ton of great songs. Um, I don't think there's a song of yours that I, I think is bad or I don't like. But um, you know what I'm talking about, where you get a record and, and it kind of, you know, maybe the sixth or seventh track on the album, it just kind of would skip over. And then, then one day it, it came on, uh, you know, on shuffle. And, and then, it, wait a second. And then it became your favorite song. Or, you know, songs have to grow on you sometimes. And oh, again, for sure. this. And again, this one this one was immediate. So the previous record, Say It Out Loud, came out in June uh, 24th of 2016. Uh, and Fight the Good Fight came out uh, roughly two years to the day. It was actually a June 29th of yeah. 2018. So, um, of course, in those two years, you guys were, were, were touring your, your heads off. When was the song written? Was it written on the road? Was it something you had for a while? Or was this specifically written for uh, Fight the Good Fight? Well since I knew we were going to talk about it, I kind of went back through my voice memos and it was interesting. Cause like you were saying, like we were touring so much. So we put out, say it out loud. We went do, immediately on the warp tour. Then we did like a headline tour in the fall. And then right in January was when we did our first tour with green day. And that was in Europe. So like we get these amazing opportunities to just go on the road. And we didn't really think about writing. We write on the road and we're always thinking about like, okay, this would be a good song. This would be a good song, but getting down and doing the work is something that like we usually do at home or in the studio. But 2017 was a weird year because I actually left for two months to go on tour with Rancid in um, Europe and, and in the States when they did their tour Dropkick Murphy. So like we, it was the most time we had had off as the interrupters, you know? And when I came home, I remember coming home and Amy had a bunch of lyric ideas and I had a bunch of kind of like chord ideas and kind of lyric ideas. And we just went into writing mode and we had about three weeks of writing mode. And then we had three weeks booked in the studio with Tim in September of that year, which was going to be like pre-production. You know what I mean? So that was one of the first songs that was written and it was the first one demoed. 
and uh, I, I have the date too because I found the voice memo of when we first wrote it. It was August thirty first, twenty seventeen, is when the okay. first idea came. Yeah, yeah. So, so roughly, roughly a year before, well, ten months before the record came out. So was this an idea that you specifically wrote? Was it just the music, or was there a lyric yet? I know you had talked about Amy was starting to write some lyrics. It was really interesting. A lot of our songs, we, when Amy and I write together, it's not like we like pick up guitars and go into a room and say, "Okay, let's write a song." It's literally conversations we're having. And I remember we were having a conversation, and I, one of us was like, "She's kerosene, and you're the flame," or something. And it was just like, and then we kind of stopped and we're like. Dang, that sounds like a lyric. And so so we grabbed the guitar, sit down, and wrote the hook in like probably less than five minutes. And then the, we had that. So we get out the phone, as we usually do, just to document it, you know, and did a voice memo. And we're kind of doing gibberish verses and kind of had getting the idea together. But we, we knew it was we knew it was a good chorus. I remember, too, because I took our dog out back later that night, and the twins' house is right there. Right. And I knocked on their back door, and I was like, listen to this voice memo. This is pretty cool, right? And, yeah, so I remember being pretty stoked about it, like, immediately. That's awesome. So, you know, when I was researching the song, and a lot of times bands will do this. Bands will just split the writing. I noticed that it was credited to everybody in the band and Tim Armstrong. So who was the the main writers? I'm assuming you and Amy. Yeah, so if you look at the Interrupters' entire catalog, it's it's split that way. Yeah. Um, we don't really nickel and dime song to song. It was just kind of a thing that we decided on the first record to be easy because Tim, as a producer, is so like versatile in what he brings to the table. Sometimes we'll have a complete idea written, and he'll just say, wow, that sounds great, record that, and uh, maybe try it up uh, uh, faster tempo, slower tempo. Sometimes he'll pick up a guitar and be like, hey, try this chord change under that lyric instead. Or like, what about saying this instead of that? Like, it kind of depends on the song. So we figured that out pretty early on, that it's like, let's do, you know, a blanket split. And uh, so it kind of just depends on the song. For this particular one, I remember Amy and I wrote the hook and, and had the idea for the song brought in but the bridge is a whole other story that goes back 10 years actually okay well we're gonna talk about that when we get to the bridge that 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 uh you've piqued my interest something here and i didn't know how much tim was involved with the lyrics because as i'm reading this and it never dawned on me it never dawned on me till i was staring at the lyrics and how many times have i heard this song live and on the radio etc but I noticed it's from from the the tense of like you know she, I'm a match she's kerosene so yeah and, you know and you would think almost that Amy would say maybe he's kerosene if it was a love song in that that instance so I thought maybe Tim had written the lyric and then was there ever uh, uh, talk of of having it here was it always she okay so that's a really funny that's a funny point because when we wrote it. <laughs> The conversation was she's kerosene and it just sounded so cool. Right. So then we were like, well, what if right before the course you said he said, <laughs> you know what I mean? And then the, we kind of got the idea of making it like a storytelling song just about, you know, um, like a narcissistic, abusive relationship where someone's just trying to escape from that cycle. And it just sang better. She's kerosene. I don't know. It just had like a, you, you know how sometimes your cadence and the way it, it, it feels is, is just right. And right. You know, and if Amy was talking about herself, like, you know, in first person, she's kerosene, but she's talking about herself, it would work. But that's not what's here. And that's why I had to ask. And, you know, women could certainly be in love with women. Men could be in love with men. I don't mean it in that aspect. But, oh, 100%. You know, just, 
just yeah. looking at looking at songs uh, as is, it just it, it 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 stuck out at me. I was like, wait a second, you know. So so there was there was discussion about that, but but you just thought she's kerosene sang better. Yeah, and it was just it just felt right. And also, we like to do storytelling songs where we have characters. There's like always a protagonist and an antagonist, and we kind of like we like to play with that style of songwriting because some of our favorite songs or stories in, in that respect. So it was, um, yeah, it was pretty, pretty easy. Like it's so weird. We just didn't want to change the course once we had it. Um, here we could pause really quick. Cause I just want to ask, do you want me to play just a bit of the voice memo into the, into we the don't, mic for our listeners? We don't even need to pause. Yes. Get it. Let's play oh. it right now. <laughs> okay. Here we go. So I'm just I'll just we don't show you. we don't do any edits here on Krista makes a podcast. Okay, well, I just didn't know if that was something you did, but but scope it. This is just yeah. Like this is the, this is awesome. This is this this is actually a first, Kevin. No one's played us a voice memo. Don't get your hopes up. I'm super pitchy, and it's just <laughs> it's just a phone voice memo. But the idea is there, so I just want to play it. Here we go. I love it. I love it. August thirty first, twenty seventeen. All right. I gotta stop before <laughs> yeah. the, before the gibberish verses start, dude. That was uh, that's the song. Yeah, so that's what I mean. Is we that's had the song. That, we had it. You know what I mean? And it's so funny because a lot of this particular song came with ease in a weird way because that was it. We had the hook. We kind of did that voice memo. We put it away. We show up to pre production to to do it, and it was like the first song we did. And, um, yeah, it, it, it's just every step of this song's way, it was just kind of like we didn't have to overthink it, which, which was a huge blessing for what it ended up being. When did Tim first hear it? Did he hear that phone demo or did he hear it when he went into pre-production? No. So basically we take our phone demos, right? We, we try to realize them and learn them and like wrap our head and like know how to do the harmony. And then like when we pitch a song to Tim, usually I'll grab a guitar We'll kind of sit there and he'll sit across from us and he'll have a guitar and kind of like watch what I'm doing. And we'll be like, okay, here's the idea. And then we just go into it, hoping like, you know, it ignites something because, you know, when we're in a creative space and we're all in the room, we always follow like wherever like the happy creative place is. Like, so if you pitch an idea and someone's like, yeah, that's pretty cool. Then it's kind of like, all right, well, what about this one? All right, what about this one? But this is one of the ones that were like there and it was just kind of, it felt like a no brainer, you know, all along the way. Okay. Well, and for, for our listeners out there, I uh, haven't, haven't done this in a while. I know I use the term pre-production a lot and pre-production is when a band uh, will go into a rehearsal space or even a studio with a producer and they'll be working out the last minute kinks of a song before they actually press record to go record those songs. So that's what I mean by, by pre-production. And so uh, what, what did Tim think of it? The first reaction? He dug it. I know his first reaction. Um, the funny thing is, is when we pitched it, we also had questions like right away. We were like, what do you think of it? How are we going to get from here to here? Because um, he helped us kind of orchestrate those hits that bump, bump, bump that goes into the course. Yes. And and also that big drum fill that happens because it just felt like since the chord change is the same in the course as it is in the verse, except that I think they're, they last a little longer in the verse. 
we needed a breath before the verse started and he just uh-huh. was like jesse just do a crazy drum fill so so jesse did the crazy drum fill and then the first time amy hears it she goes Whoa, and that was her idea <laughs> we laid that over it So, yeah, so we already were, like, piecing it together. Those hits before the chorus are such a great launch pad. It's so perfect. And that drum fill is just, it's so exciting. So much energy. It's a, it's a great part. I love that the track, again, starts out with a chorus. It's essentially chorus one. I'm calling it an intro chorus here. Uh, it starts out just, why, why mess around? It just, boom, I'm a match. She's kerosene. You know she's going to burn down everything. She's an arsonist in her pastime, and I've been burned for the last time. And then the band comes in, you know, drums and bass and everything. Uh, Time, 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 whoa. I've been burned for the last time. Time, 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 whoa. I've been burned for the last time. And then that whoa that you're talking about that Amy thought of, such a youthful energy to that thing. It's just, and when you guys play it live, I just hear the whole crowd, whoa. It's such a cool part. Do you remember when she came up with that? I do actually, because you know what's so funny is she has a lot of ideas that that come from almost this like guttural like like caveman instinct of like all the like <laughs> who's and like just all the big punchy gang vocal things in our music is always stuff that like it's almost like she can't verbalize the intensity she hears in her head so she just will make a noise and then we all end up making the noise and it, it kind of it gets the point across so that was that was what that was and um and it it's it's pretty funny because we we all went around one mic and just did it, you know, because we were just uh, all excited. It, and it's one of those hooks within a song that you don't really realize how important it is. It's like the Blur song, the woo-hoo. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. Like if, it, if it's not there, it's not the same song. Oh, and you better believe when we get into rehearsal, if it doesn't sound right, we're gonna we're gonna play that part like eight times in a row until it has that intensity. You know what I mean? Right. She's kind of like our our like um our band leader and our band coach, where it's just like you know we we may be like ah it sounds fine. She's like nope, you, we gotta do it again. We gotta do it again. It's not good enough. She has this like perfectionist thing that really like has made all of us better players and just a better live band. That's great. Do you remember? Did the chorus always start the song off? Was there any uh, <clears throat> was there any intro or any part before the vocal came in that you thought could could be an intro, or did it always start uh, as is? It always started as is. Like I said, when we got in pre production the first day, we came up with those hits, and um, it was that was gonna be it. So after the woe and the huh, we get into the uh, the woe huh. We get into the first verse and. Again, these lyrics were something that you and Amy came up with together. Did Tim have any any say in the lyrics? Not until the bridge, which is an interesting story. But I remember this first verse. We came home the night of pre-production and wrote the first verse, and it was done. And then we didn't write the second verse until almost three months later when we actually were doing the record. Well, and they're they're both as strong as the other. You know, I as I've analyzed songs, and I even before I started this podcast, I'm sure you can attest. There's sometimes when a first verse is just so good, and you get to the second verse, and it just doesn't live up to it. And uh, the second verse lives up to the first. And I oh, I you. love the lyrics. And you mentioned earlier about about storytelling, having an antagonist and a protagonist. And man. I love the story here, and I love the way that it's articulated. Uh, Verse 1, it started out like any other morning. The sky was red. He took it as a warning. She hit the hive. Now the bees are swarming. 
He played the victim till the crowd starts forming. She got a history of making a scene, yeah. She tells a story. She's gaslighting like he's the executioner and she's the queen. And he's the one whose neck is in the guillotine. Yes. Online, the lyric said, uh, she tells a story. She gets right in. Yeah, like, no, Whoa. there's a lot of wrong <laughs> lyrics online. Even even a couple of the he's and she's you, you didn't get 100% right. But... That's just, I think, the nature of the internet nowadays. It's so funny because we make a point to print all of our lyrics in our vinyl, but a lot of people stream it and listen to it online, so they kind of fill in the gaps. I actually had to go to the Jimmy Kimmel live version to hear her saying she's gaslighting to know what that lyric was. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, that was a funny thing because we were talking about that a lot around the time, and it was such an interesting word to put into a song. I I don't know of any other songs that use the word gaslighting, or at least... In 2017 or up until no, then. Uh, no, no, that's a that's a more current word. <laughs> yeah, not any that I'm aware of. But um, yeah, it's, it was an important word to the story because it's kind of what the whole song's about is being gaslit. And also, you know, the interesting thing too, writing lyrics for this song and having the chorus already done was like imagery of fire, heat, flames, light, all of that. It made it really fun. You have like a nice like palette to pick from, you know, and. Uh, yeah. And that's kind of why it's like the sky was red, you know, um, just all all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And was this a story you guys were writing, you and Amy, or was this actually about something? Like, what? Where? Where's the idea of of that first verse? Uh, Absolutely. Lyric? Well, yeah, that's the thing. Well, the interesting thing, Amy's been through some pretty crazy stuff in her life, and she's got like she's she's got some stories and and she's been in some some rough situations with people you know what i mean so it was this isn't an exact story of a rough situation she was in with someone but the feeling that she got and how it felt for her she wrote a story with the same kind of elements you know what i mean being gaslit being um you know somebody who's kind of attacking you but playing the victim those types of kind of like abusive tactics you know she just really wanted to like write a song about that so we kind of made it rather than make it like a personal first person thing it was easier to tell in a story and um so that's where the where the story aspect comes from and as far i just want to touch on the production a little bit i love the way your band sounds particularly on this record there's such separation with the tracks it sounds like where it came from, some of the, the third wave ska punk, rancid, you know, it has that type of, of, of youthful throwback in a sense, but at the same time, it sounds current. The production sounds current. It doesn't sound dated. How much did Tim bring to the table with that? I know you're an engineer. You produce stuff. You know, like I said, the separation, when I and for the listeners, when I mean by separation, just the instruments are just all separated. There's the drums. They're right here. The bass is here. Nothing. It's like almost a, a perfectly clean mix. Yeah. Oh, well, definitely the mix is is really good. So the interesting thing about this record is, like I said, we did the three weeks of pre-production in September. Then we went back on tour. We went to South America and then we went, we did a whole East Coast tour. We get back around Christmas time. We take the holidays off and then we go in the studio to do the album, air quotes, in January. So... But the problem with this record, well, not problem, but the interesting thing is we had a release date before we stepped in the studio. They're like, we want this record out in June because <laughs> you guys are going on the Warp Tour. And we were like, okay, we have some songs written. We have some pre-production. That doesn't seem too unrealistic. But there was all these obstacles that kind of kept hitting us. And we were just up against the clock. But we went in the studio in January to do the actual record. And one thing that was a little different 
this time around is when we did pre-production, we invited Brett Gurowitz into the studio when we had some some songs demoed from the label and um, amazing set of ears, um, legendary mixer, producer, obviously Bad Religion, one of our biggest influences. So he comes in to listen to songs and he kind of like gave us his feedback and he kind of rated them. And I remember playing him the demo, the pre-production demo for Kerosene. And when it ended, he goes, I think that song's a hit song. Hey, this is Scott from Fly on the Call. Each week I speak to a different musician, whether they're in an established band like Silverstein or The Wonder Years, or band on the rise like Spanish Love Songs, Origami Angel, or Meet Me at the Altar. We discuss music and lyrics, the successes and challenges of being in a band, and more, as we get to the core of each artist. The show features musicians of diverse genres and backgrounds, so there's always a chance I'll be talking to your new favorite band. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. And we were just like, we'd never heard anyone really say, I mean, we use those words sometimes to be like, well, it sounds like a hit, man. But I mean, come on. (laughs) We're just like, it's different when someone like him says it and you're like, whoa. So that kind of gave us pause to like not overthink it and change it too much. So when we went in to do the record, it's like, don't change the baseline. Don't change the tempo. Don't change the key. Don't Because we do that. Sometimes we'll do pre-production. We'll go in the studio and we'll be like, ah, let's try this one punk instead of ska let's try this one a couple steps down we'll, we do all that kind of stuff but so we went in the studio to record this and to speak to the production and what was different this time around is tim's studio has a like a 24 track studer tape machine and he was like i really think he goes we did outcome the wolves on tape and it's got this kind of like it just kind of gives it this punchy timelessness and he's like you guys should really consider doing this record on tape so we were like yeah we're super down so when we went in to do the record in january we had the tape machine and and uh, we bought, you know, a few reels of tape. And it's just a different approach. As you know, coming up in the tape world, like if you're on the floor doing takes, you it's like I, I remember the first time the engineer said, hey, so this reel's done. Do you want to record over that last take or do you want me to change reels? And we're in there with our instruments on and I'm like, oh, I guess let's record over that last take because I don't want to stop right now, you know, and then we're having <laughs> yeah. to make these decisions on the spot. But, um, yeah, it was, it's interesting because we always do our drums, bass, guitar live. But this time, since we had the pre-production done and the song written, we had Amy in a side room singing with us. So she's kerosene in particular. All of the vocals in all of the courses is live with the band, which is a really interesting thing we'd never done before where it's like, you know, if you isolate her vocal track, you could hear the drums bleeding through, you know, the wall. So that was it's the four of us having a moment recording it to tape and that was that was the main different thing about this record obviously we dumped it all into pro tools later but that was the well that's when i was going to ask at what point did you dump it when everything was pretty much recorded and then of course you, you 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 could do some editing in pro tools but the the main thing that you're going for that tape saturation and that uh that sound that tim was speaking of you're going you're to achieve with tape absolutely and uh yeah drums bass guitars lead vocal maybe like a guitar overdub and some piano and then we dump into pro tools and do like background vocals and percussion and that kind of stuff so the lead vocal was cut on tape as well yeah yeah interesting i'm assuming amy had to take some takes because although i guess from the tape then you could put it in pro tools and still uh, you know do any uh type of tuning if you had to do and such yeah we don't honestly like we don't have to do much to her like right. some compression and some EQ. Her pitch is great. I'm the one that needs like a little more takes and a little more love. <laughs> but no, no, to be honest, we probably played Kerosene three times. Probably Take Two is the one on the record. And her vocals are all from singing along with the band. 
and and that's it. After verse one, we uh, we go straight into uh, the official chorus one or chorus two, however you want to however you want to look at it. And he said, "I'm a match. She's kerosene. You know, she's going to burn down everything. She's an arsonist in her pastime, and I've been burned for the last time." Time, 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 whoa, I've been burned for the last time. Time, 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 whoa, I've been burned for the last time. Here, Kevin, when it hits the time, 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 whoa part, there's some padded ooze, some vocals, and some organ pads while the organ's still doing the upbeats. Yep. I've been burned for the last time. It's yeah. really cool. Who's, whose idea was it for those vocal pads? Um, the ooze was Amy. And speaking of production and just interesting little like factoids, is like those ooze were in every course. And the guy who ended up mixing the album, who you know, Tom Lord Algae, amazing sure. mixer. We had sent out this song to like five people. And when we found out he was one of them, we were so excited. I don't want to say we didn't even listen to the other one, the other ones, but we didn't listen to the whole thing because his was so good. We're like, if he's gonna mix the record, like we're so stoked. Yeah. But he he just muted him in the first course. You know, he'd made that executive decision um, to help the song build, and I think that's a hallmark of like a great creative mixer to be like, you know what, you don't need him here yet. So, but yeah, those were her ideas to throw the ooze in, and uh, yeah, the organs in every course though. Yeah. I am so glad you brought that up. Mixers do not get enough credit for that. The good ones. You know, when yeah. you get to a level of Tom Lord Algae or his brother Chris or Lord Algae or some of these, some of these fame, Andy Wallace, these guys that mix these huge records, they put their names on stuff. Uh, that, and if they're going to put their name on it, they want it to be right. And sometimes, like you said, they make that executive decision. And, uh, in this, in this case, you heard it back and your artistic, uh, merit wasn't, uh, tarnished or anything. You didn't feel like, why the hell do you do that? You, you, you think it made it a better song that it built better that way. It helps to have other people that we really respect be able to like add creative input and and validate ideas in that way because we don't go into the th- studio thinking we know it all. Like that's why we love working with Tim is like he always offers that tiebreaker vote. He offers like kind of the truth. Like we have a sometimes in the studio we'll be like, what do you think? He'll be like, do you want honest or supportive? <laughs> and we're like, <laughs> honest, always honest, please. Yeah. You know, you know so, what else? Something I meant to bring up earlier, and uh, I, I want to bring up now. I had forgotten for a moment was what you said about Brett Gerowitz, and it, it's so cool that you guys have the had the foresight. You know, here's this guy that you respect, one of your favorite bands, who's you know got a great resume in his own right, is telling you this song's a hit. There's some bands that would have went back, and, and and that would have made them go, wait a second, do we have to write another bridge? Do we have to bring in the mariachi band? Do we have to bring in a horn section? Do we have to do this, do that? And you guys said. Well, if he said that, it's good the way it is. We don't want to mess around with what uh, the the basic tenant and the basic idea that's already there. Yeah, absolutely. And because of that, it was the first one finished. It was the first one that got sent out to mix. It was just like we didn't have to think about it. It happened super easily. Yeah, yeah. good good for you to, again, have that foresight to know. Something I hadn't mentioned, this song is, uh, in terms of a pop hit, it's right there in, all, in almost three minutes, about two minutes and 50 seconds, which uh, which is great. Coming out of the chorus, we get into that whoa-huh again, yep. that youthful, uh, energetic explosion. We're in verse two. Ooh, the smoke clears out, and he's been awakened. He said his life could be mine for the taking. She needs a drink, so she starts shaking and played a victim till his heart starts breaking. No real tears, because she don't mean it. This landscape used to be so scenic. 
and he could make it out if he could dream it. Rising up from the ash, he's a phoenix. Again, the imagery here is great. I, I really think that this this verse is as strong as the first one. How long after? Because you had that first one. How long after did it take to get this one? This one, it was like the same kind of thing where we like, we demoed the song, wrote the first verse that day. Then we go back into the studio and we're like, okay, let's let's write a second verse. It came pretty easily because we had the cadence. We had the melody. We had the first verse that we'd been living with for three months. We knew exactly how it should kind of how it should flow yeah exactly i don't know if you've had that issue though i you know again the first verse is so strong Uh, i've had that before we go to write the second one and it's just elusive and it seems like this one kind of kind of came pretty pretty uh organically pretty easy for you oh a hundred percent i mean it's not always like that like there's a song on our record (laughs) called broken world we wrote like 15 verses before we landed on the verses that made the record you know so I, I, it's not lost on me how lucky we are to have gotten this one together as quickly as we did. It doesn't always happen like that. Well, and a running theme on this show is amazing, great hit songs sometimes uh, happen very quickly. Probably up to 40 or so episodes now, I've had maybe one or two where the hit song, uh, no, man, this took forever to get right. It, 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 you rarely hear that. You usually hear that this... Uh, this idea that I got on my voice memo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, that's pretty much what the song was. I mean, I was I was actually shocked when you played that a minute ago, to be honest with you. You know, the character of it, everything was was the same. E- even your uh, pitchy notes that you... you, you, you yeah, yeah. Up. Well, I mean, we had the harmonies. <laughs> uh, yeah, look, I'm no Pavarotti, and everybody knows that for sure. <laughs> no, it's 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 amazing that it's uh, that, that was exactly what the song ended up being. We go into uh, chorus three. I'm not going to read the lyric again. We, we got it a couple times, but... Uh, Chorus three comes in and then we get into uh, uh, this musical bridge. There's the start of a bridge. Yeah. It's just that guitar riff and uh, there's some toasting. Uh, and for those that don't know what toasting is, toasting uh, is the, I can't do it. Maybe you can, Kevin. Can you, well, can you give us- yeah, it's just when you're, <laughs> it's like when the track's really hype, but there's no vocals and you just kind of do vocal percussion. There you go. Yeah, there you yeah. go. I, I was never a, a good toaster, but to- toasting's a, a, a very popular thing in ska music, um, and it works perfectly here. The guitar riff and the toasting goes on, and, and it's great. It's really the first time that there's a uh, vocal break in the song, and it gives you just 12 seconds. It just gives you a little bit of relief from, from a vocal, and then the bridge comes in, the or the second half of the bridge, yeah. and what's the story with this? So this is really interesting because um, when I first wrote with Amy for the first time it was it was like 10 years ago or more now I guess Ooh, 2010 so we we met on tour before and we started writing together and I was producing tracks for what was going to be like her next solo album I was also working with Tim at the time and I remember he was in my car one day and I was playing him some tracks and he's like man I really dig this stuff he goes I, I'd love to you know write a song with her as well. And I'm like, dude, she'd be so stoked. And I remember um, he came to the studio and he goes, I got an idea for you. And he played this guitar riff and, he, and it was, you play with me, you're playing with fire. You play with me, you're playing with fire. And anyways, just kind of to fast forward quickly, we start the interrupters, that whole solo record, it doesn't get completely scrapped, but because we farmed songs off there, like Easy On You, Gave You Everything. But Playing With Fire never got its day in the sun. So we get 
this song together. She's kerosene. There's all this imagery of fire and smoke. And I remember sitting there with Amy saying, what if, what if we did? You play it with me. You're playing with fire for the bridge. And she was like, yeah, totally. And then I would pitch it to Tim. And Tim was like, oh, my God, I totally like, yes, let's use that, you know, because it's been sitting there for 10 years. And it's and it's it found its home, you know. That is that is awesome. I've had that happen uh, a couple times. Uh, actually, I, we we mined one of a it was one of our first seven inches. Maybe, I don't even know. Maybe we didn't even record this song. It was an old maybe demo that we had a bridge in that song. The rest of the song was crap, but there was this golden part, you know, that we ended mm-hmm. up throwing on a record uh, ten ten years ten years later after yeah. the fact. You can't let those things go to waste as a songwriter. You know, they're always in the back of your mind, swirling around. But that was one of those things. It was like. It was kind of a no-brainer, and then, you know, that whole vocal part just goes throughout the whole rest of the song. But how perfect with everything, the the smoke, the fire, the red, the colors, the imagery here, uh, you play with me, you're playing with fire. That original thing that Tim had played you, how well that just, just worked its way into this song. I know. And uh, it was like one of those moments where like the puzzle piece just comes together and you're like, oh, it's just a big relief. Was there another bridge prior to that? Never. In fact, I'm, I won't play you this part of the voice memo, but on that same voice memo I played <laughs> you, eventually we discover the playing with fire thing as me and Amy are jamming it. And we're both like, whoa, yeah, let's do that. The chords was different, though. It was over like a D major chord change. We decided to just keep the chords minor and just throw the melody over and it worked and we ended up tweaking it like later on because in the original demo she had to go really low to sing that part and then you know it was one of those we did like a session after the song was mixed where we fixed like two or three things and that was one of the things is like get her in the same register as the verses and um another like kind of brett gerwitz idea was like hey maybe you make her vocal in the bridge more in the register of the verses that was a Okay. Interesting. Okay. Afterthought we had, yeah. Well, I, I love the bridge. Like I said, the first uh, first twelve seconds are just that guitar riff. There's some toasting going on. Uh, then the vocal comes in, but the, the vocal part, you you play with me, you're playing with fire, happens twice. It's only twelve seconds, but just that twenty four second departure then sets you up for the fourth chorus. And now, not only are you going to hit him over the head with the fourth chorus, you're going to continue with yes. the refrain of "You play with me, you're playing with fire" with the backing vocals that are just underneath. Amy's lead vocal volume wise and it is just awesome man when did the light bulb go off that we have to have that continue into the last chorus so in pre-production Amy's we one of our jokes is she writes the outro before she writes the chorus like she always has this idea and I'm like that that's amazing but that sounds like a long outro fade out so the the play with me playing with fire going in the original pre-production I don't know if you will you probably notice on the album we switch beat we go to like this kind of like dance hall thing for a second uh, yeah we go I, like I gotta hear the time. notes but yep. check it out, dude. On the original pre-production, we changed the beat like eight times, and that lasted for like a minute and a half. And then <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous. And then the vocals were swirling, like it'd be like you play I'm a match, and then it'd be like time, time over it. And we had all three things going, and it was like it was too much. But yeah. sometimes you got to go too far to figure out where the line is. And then yeah, and then we settled on like she really loved that like kind of rub a dub hit 
part boom 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 and then um and then just going double time until the end and then so that's what we settled on but yeah we had experimented with that whole part going really long and really arty well in 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 yeah. songwriting we call it the train wreck and the train wreck usually happens at the end of a song where all this oh, stuff sure. comes in and, and, and a train wreck can either be a horrible thing or in this instance the train wreck works there's oh, a lot yeah. there's a there's a lot going on here but it but but it works it uh, I, I can't imagine this last chorus not having the the you play with me you're playing with fire when you get to the time 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 whoa whoa the, the back half of, of the last chorus here, um, I called it the, the, the syncopated rhythm where that, you know, it's kind of like the backwards uh, snare beat happens. So yeah, you're yeah. saying you're saying that was a you, you experiment with a bunch of different stuff there before you settle on what's there. Yeah. Well, no, what's there was there, but there was also more. And then we just ah. ended up cutting what didn't work because gotcha. that, that part worked. That's a hard part to pull off live, though, that don't 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 while singing straight and trying to <laughs> concentrate. It's like when you have to, like, uh, tap your head and rub your belly at the same time is one of those. So you kind of touched on this a moment ago, but the song's done. You get that uh, that mix back from Tom Lord Algae. What did you think? I was in a recording session when the email came through and I couldn't listen to it. And I sent it to Amy and the twins and then I'm just start getting texts. Oh my God, this is amazing. This is amazing. And then, and then I saw Tim that afternoon. He's like, dude, amazing. And I was like, I haven't heard it yet. <laughs> so I put on headphones and listened to it when I got a break. And I was just like, we were literally like no notes. We have no notes. Our only notes were we had to fix a couple things in the recording because we had done it so fast. There was just a few things that we needed to be tweaked, like that bridge vocal. The backing vocals at the end, we actually ended up beefing up and and making a little more um, singy. Just stuff like that. But Pretty much that first mix he came back with, with he, he hit a home run. Home run. Mix one. We were just, can he do the whole album, please? <laughs> like... It's so good, you know. He's just yeah, and and you guys have worked with him. I mean, you know what he brings to the table and his his resume. Like great ears, amazing. So Kevin, do you do you remember the first time you guys played the song to a live audience and what the reaction was? I do. We played this song for the very first time. We were playing the Punk and Drublick festivals with No Effects, and the song had been out five days, maybe. I remember because it was the we had to learn it. And it was like, it didn't sound as good as the rest of our set. And we were like, so bummed. We're like, but the song comes out Tuesday and then we have the show Friday. So we have to play it. You know what I mean? So we just, you practice the hell out of it. We go to that festival with no effects and it was in Texas. It was like 500 degrees. And I just remember it was so hot. <laughs> and we played the song and I actually, for the first time, saw the crowd really stoked like it was it was the best reaction we have gotten for a new song ever like we did the warp tour after say it out loud came out and when we played the new songs it wasn't immediate this one was a little bit more immediate and and that was pretty cool to see well that's uh the hallmark of a hit my friend and i know i know you know that it's just there's something about about this song like i said the first time i heard it i i absolutely loved it and you know i'm just uh stoked for you guys absolutely happy um i'd like you to leave the listeners right now with anything that you have going on uh solo anything with you and tim production wise anything uh with the interrupters coming up well, thank you so much also for saying all those kind words. We're literally the luckiest band in the world. And, uh, you know, like so many bands <laughs> that came before us just paved the way for us to be able to do what we do. And 
you know, it's not lost on us, like how rare what we have is and how lucky we are to have it. So we truly are grateful, grateful to you for having us, grateful to everyone for listening. Just we're stoked. But yeah, we're, we're, we got some stuff coming up. We, we have a live album that we just finished that's going to be announced and coming out very soon that we recorded in a city that we had never played before. And it was an incredible show and we decided to make an album out of it. So we will have more announcements on that coming soon. But yeah, that's pretty much it. Awesome. Well, can't wait to hear it. And uh, please tell Amy, Jesse, and Justin, I, I send my best, and I, I can't wait to see you all uh, back on the road sooner than later. Absolutely. And uh, thank you again for um, having me. And yeah, everyone sends their love too. I didn't tell you that at the top, but they all told <laughs> me to tell you hello and send love. So thanks again. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal the Man, to Fat Mike from No Effects, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Krista Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is submit your song and bio to bandyoumightnotknow at gmail.com. This week's featured band is Kalimasi from Chicago, Illinois, featuring Sam Porter, Anthony Elliott, Wes Moore, and John Garrison. Less Than Jake did a tour with these fellas back in April of 2019. They couldn't have been uh, a nicer bunch of guys. Uh, we went out with uh, them and Punchline and Mest. It was a great tour. Uh, you can find their music on Spotify and Apple. And uh, here's a snippet of their song, Trophy Deer. The Wrap with Chris and Chris. Personally, it always adds another layer of interest for me when the person we're talking to also is a producer and an engineer and someone who mixes and can talk about that layer of songwriting as well. Most people at least have some sort of background in that if they play in a band. You know, I'm I'm a guy who's good enough at it to make demos, whereas some of my bandmates are guys who do it for other bands, and that's great too. But it's always interesting to hear that. And what I liked hearing about the recording of She's Kerosene, which you and I both have experience with in one way or another over the course of our musical careers, is how they recorded it live. Recorded drums, bass, and guitar live, but also Amy did a vocal track live on the song that we all know and hear. Yeah, it's it's uh, definitely a different approach these days. You know, everything is, not everything, but typically done separately, typically done digital to Pro Tools or to Logic, you know, and uh, they, they went straight to tape with this one, which is kind of old school, but uh, they, they kind of wanted to keep it that way. That was the, uh, the idea that Tim brought to them. And of course, everything ends up being digital, but you still get that, you know, that, that warm tape sound that uh, I think they were going for. And there's also a sort of energy that you can't really pinpoint. It comes with that being in a room and playing together and looking at each other and seeing your drummer move into the beat of the song and, and you know, looking over at your friend and, and you guys are 
you guys are playing together and that comes through in the music. It's a sort of emotion that you can't always define. You can't always explain. But yeah, on She's Kerosene, once he said that, I'm like, yeah, that's so obvious about this song. <laughs> well, the other thing, and I didn't, I was going to get into it in the episode, and I thought, you know what, maybe, maybe I'll save it for the rap. But I, I do want to mention is uh, how unfair it is to have three siblings in the same band. Uh, it, it, yeah. it, watching the, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not kidding. I've never really seen a tighter band than the Interrupters. The, the uh, Jesse, the drummer, uh, and uh, Justin, the bass player, and, and Kevin, of course, all brothers. Je- Jesse and Justin are, are uh, twins, and. Uh, Something about uh, uh, coming from the same mother and father, <laughs> just uh, that internal instinct of where where you're going to go musically. They are just so locked. It's amazing. Well, not to mention they've probably been playing together. They probably all learned how to play music together. I'm assuming, and have probably been playing together since they first picked up instruments. Ab- right? Absolutely, you know. And I talked to Stefan Egerton from Descendants uh, about this uh, some time ago. He knows the the kids in Hanson. I say kids; they're grown men now uh, from Hanson, and uh, they they right. live in Oklahoma where Stefan lives. And uh, he's just like, you won't see a tighter band. You know, three three brothers in a band. It's 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 really amazing. And I would sit there and watch them every night and just be like, my gosh, they. They're just unbelievably tight. Something else that you touched on in this episode is song building. I know we've talked about this in a lot of episodes, but a great mixer, a great producer can hold things back and hold back elements of the songs and then present them later and it just gives it that lift it gives it a boost when they come in. It could be a guitar riff, it could be vocal pads. There's a thousand different things it could be, but uh, using that tastefully and at the right moment can just take a song to the next level. Absolutely. You know, he had mentioned that uh, Tom Lord Algae, who mixed the song, uh, that, that Tom held back those uh, those vocal ooze, those pads in the, in the first chorus. He wanted to save it. He wanted to build. And that was something they had uh, on the recording that was there, that the mixer, he made that executive decision to hold that back. Uh, and, and they weren't at all bummed about it. They're like, yeah, that that was that's the right call. And that's, that's why you pay a guy like Tom Lord Algae to, Tom Lord Algae yeah. to make those decisions. That comes with experience of playing in a band, too, because it's hard. If something is a really cool part, it's hard to not want to do it right away and and have that be a main element of the song. But to have that restraint to be able to hold off, to have it make more of an impact later in the song, that's just a cool thing that sometimes you need a producer uh, with fresh ears on the song to be able to to guide you in that direction. That Them working with Tim Armstrong all the time, that also, especially for their sound, like you know Tim Armstrong worked on on it and that's a great thing you and i would both agree that that's a really great thing yeah no it also goes back to your point about kevin he's a a producer himself he's an engineer uh and he and he records so uh if anyone was able to say you know what i think that decision was right it it would be kevin because you know there's there's times you get very protective (laughs) as a songwriter of your songs hearing kevin talk about it it almost sounds like in a way that tim is like a fifth member of the band which hey you couldn't ask for a a better fifth member than tim armstrong and that leads me to my last point about this and i wanted to talk about it's kind of funny i can't believe we haven't talked about this yet maybe we haven't done a lot of ska songs so far to be able to talk about this but i wanted to talk about and it's funny because I just recently learned this term and you used it. And I was like, oh, OK. I heard it in reference to the song Pass the Duchy by right. Musical Youth. Uh, but talking about toasting. And I never knew that that's what that was called. I may, I may have called that like ska noises or like <laughs> something like that. But we're talking about the 
or like there's things you do in 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 rhythm to the song or the pick it up pick it up pick it up or things like just pick it up pick it up count as uh toasting uh, uh not not i no? wouldn't count that i, I count that okay i can't even do it that's why i had kevin yeah. do it i just embarrassed yeah. myself but yeah the the that that stuff is toasting yeah. uh, and it, it goes all the way back to like i think the jamaican ska roots to be to be honest with you, i don't know the exact uh the exact origin but uh you know and you may never thought of this but the band the toasters that's where their name comes from I never would have known that. And when I was doing the research for that musical youth, you know what I'm talking about. Of course. Right? Pass Pass the yeah. See, that's not the definition that I thought, like the reggae definition of it. I thought it was almost kind of like like spoken word rap or something was was the explanation I, I had for it. But it makes way more sense what, what you're saying. I was I was going off of like Google. And whatever, uh, you know, but, I, I don't know. Now that I now that I truly think about it, maybe that was like a spoken word thing. Because when you toast somebody, you're giving them uh, kind of accolades. You're you're, you're cheer, right. giving, giving them cheers. So maybe maybe we'll have to do a little more research. Here. Maybe we're talking out of our ass. But I always thought toasting was the ch-ch, that stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I love that stuff, dude. You guys, lesson Jake for being a third wave ska band i don't think you guys really do that do you do that at all no we we no. We, we stop shy of the toasting yeah okay yeah <laughs> <laughs> no toasting from the florida bands <laughs> so hey man after 39 episodes i gotta say i'm actually stumped on trying to find a way to going from talking about toasting into this month's fundraiser <laughs> and you're the, stumped i am i am the, I, the, the closest thing i could think was to was to try to toast about this month's fundraiser the the closest thing i could think was to go help a dog help a dog help a dog. <laughs> i don't know something along the lines of pick it up and help a dog but i i got nothing man i got nothing just tell them about about uh biggie's bullies just tell them man all right this month's fundraiser is biggie's bullies they're a Foster Home Based Rescue, founded in 2011 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Their mission is to rescue and rehome pit bull type dogs uh, in Pittsburgh and the surrounding areas. So please head over to KristaMakesADifference.com and give whatever you can to this wonderful organization. They do a lot of good work. Help a dog, help a dog, help a dog. Hut, hut. <laughs> I, I, got no, I got nothing, man. KristaMakesADifference.com. Go donate and help the fucking dogs. <laughs> you put that in, in, you put that in a sample in a punchline song. It's not going in a Lesson Jake song, pal. All yeah, right? yeah. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm cool with that. Uh, what else do we got to talk about before we go here, man? Something else I do want to talk about is head over to KristaMakes.com. That'll redirect you to my YouTube page. And please subscribe. I'd love to have you uh, stop by. Lots of great animation by Chris. Chris does uh, all kinds of animation and cool little videos on there you can check out. I got my custom songs there, a bunch of less than Jake videos, and a whole host of other things. A lot of custom songs have been put to picture videos and videos by the fans I made them for. And if you'd like a custom song, head over to KristaMakes at gmail.com. Shoot me an email and I will send you all the info on that. You should get a song from Chris. I didn't get a song from you yet. But I know like you. <laughs> I feel like you, you owe me one. <laughs> I need to write you like 40 songs for all the editing you do and all the work you put into these podcasts. That's yeah, what I need to do. Yeah, join the Facebook group too. Come talk to us. Absolutely. The Facebook group's a lot of fun. So head over there and uh, come say hi. I want to thank this week's guest, Mr. Kevin Bavona from The Interrupters. It was a lot of fun speaking with you. And thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. 
I'm Daniela Clark. I'm Barbara Ann Wild. And we are the Honest AF Show. Our podcast is real, honest conversation with our celebrity friends and pros. Covering our anything but average rock and roll lifestyles. All while tackling the hell that is aging and the battle of beauty. Oh yeah, nothing is off the table. The Honest AF Show is available wherever you get your podcasts. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or were nothing more than a one hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods.